A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to the first Bearing Arms Cam and Company of 2022. I am so glad to be here. I am sorry that I'm a day late. Uh, I originally planned on resuming our shows on Tuesday, January the 4th, but uh, Mother Nature decided to get in the way. We had this snowstorm that was supposed to be two to six inches of snow. Ended up being about uh, 10 inches of snow where I live, so we were without power for about 32 hours or so. Uh, we're all fine. Everything's fine. It was a little cold. I, I, I will confess, it was a little cold Monday night, about 13 degrees in the house. I do not have a generator. Generators cost money, and honestly, you know, we need a generator like maybe once every two years. So this has been one of those things where my wife and I, the nine years we've lived here uh, in rural central Virginia, have had this debate like every time we've had an extended power outage. I should probably get a generator. And then the power comes back on and we think, nah, maybe not. This time around, we've actually made the call. We're, we're going to uh, talk to somebody about getting a generator because, uh, you know, as bad as it is to be without power in the winter, it's much worse in the summer. We can put clothes on, right, and stay warm. We huddled under blankets. We were fine. Pipes didn't freeze. We turned off our water. Everything was fine. Ended up cooking outside on our uh, camp stove. Uh, you know, we, we roughed it a little bit, but we, we got by. Being without power in Virginia in the summer when it's like 90 plus degrees, 80% humidity, there's no relief to be found in that situation. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to be taking steps to ensure that we are even more prepared to deal with what uh, Mother Nature might send our way. But in the meantime, again, I'm glad to be back with you. Hope that you had a great holiday, uh, both uh, Christmas holiday, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And uh, that you are back with it in 2022. We've got an important year ahead. You know, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court fight over the right to carry. Uh, oral arguments are already held. Decision should be coming down in June. And I think it's going to be a good decision. I think we're also going to see a backlash. In fact, I think we're already starting to see the backlash to this anticipated decision, as well as the fact that, you know, more Americans are buying guns. We had, what, 18 and a half million firearms sold in 2021, millions of new gun owners the gun control lobby is lashing out because they know that they are losing right now. They're losing public opinion. They are losing legislative fights. They are losing court battles. Uh, and so they are lashing out. One of the most uh, recent examples of this in California, where on Tuesday, Democrats, several Democrats, introducing a gun control bill, uh, going off of what uh, Gavin Newsom has uh, called for, allowing uh, the victims of violent crime to sue gun makers and sellers, holding them responsible for the actions of criminals. I mean, this is something, again, that Gavin Newsom had called for in response to the uh, Texas anti-abortion law that allows private citizens to sue abortion providers, right? Uh, the Democrats in Sacramento on Tuesday, however, said that they've been working on this uh, since before Gavin Newsom uh, started yapping about the need for a law. In fact, they pointed to something that we've been talking about now for over six months, and that is this bill in New York. Actually, it's a law in New York now that says that uh, firearms makers, distributors, and sellers can be held liable for the, uh, quote, unreasonable sale, manufacture, distribution, importing, or marketing of firearms that cause harm to the public as a public nuisance. And all of this, again, is an attempt to get around the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the federal legislation that was passed on a bipartisan basis in 2005 that was designed to prevent junk lawsuits that sought to bankrupt the firearms industry by, again, holding them responsible 
for the actions of criminals. And that is exactly what this California bill would do. There's no other way around it. Phil Ting, chairman of the uh, California Assembly Budget Committee and a huge gun control activist, says, I think this gets at the spirit of what the governor was asking, which is really that ordinary Californians have the ability to hold the gun industry accountable. Uh, how about, again, holding violent criminals accountable in a state like California that is explicitly reducing the sentences for crimes that are committed by somebody using a firearm. So if you actually use a gun in the commission of a crime, you're going to be punished less severely than you would have, let's say, a decade ago in California. The actual criminal perpetrator doesn't bear as much culpability as the maker of the firearm. Well, why don't we extend that logic, or the lack thereof, to other industries? Why don't we sue Ford every time a drunk driver gets behind the wheel of a car? Why don't we sue knife makers every time somebody gets stabbed? Or exacto knife makers if somebody uses a box cutter? This is absurd. But not only is it absurd, it really is an attack on a constitutional right. And again, this was in the works before Governor Greg Abbott ever signed that anti-abortion bill in the state of Texas. So AB 1594, yes, it has a, uh, a title now, uh, authored by Ting as well as uh, Assemblyman Chris Ward and Mike Gibson, would allow local governments and victims of gun violence to pursue legal action in California courts against, quote, irresponsible, reckless, or negligent gun manufacturers, importers, and dealers. Ting said, quote, almost every industry in the U.S. is held liable for what their products do. If you have a defective toy, if your car is a problem, those manufacturers are held responsible for what happens, what their products do. The gun industry is the one exception. No, actually, it's not. Because even under the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, if there is a design defect, you can sue. If there is actual culpability or liability in the manufacturing of that product, you can still sue. What you cannot do under the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is say, hey, this guy robbed a store with a gun, you know what? It's the gun maker's fault. Because if the gun maker hadn't made that gun, then the gun never could have entered the stream of lawful commerce. It never could have been stolen. It never could have been legally purchased and used by an armed robber. But if the gun maker didn't make that gun, then that armed robbery wouldn't have happened. So goes the argument. Now, we've already seen the National Shooting Sports Foundation and 14 stakeholders within the firearms industry launch a federal lawsuit against that New York law. So there is already a legal challenge underway to this New York law that was passed, again, as an attempt to get around the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Um, if this assembly bill becomes law in California, as I anticipate it will, we will see similar legislation filed against AB 1594. And again, I, I believe the courts are going to have uh, no choice if they look at this uh, 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 with a fair reading of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, they're going to have no choice but to toss these laws out. But in the meantime, the gun control lobby and these anti-gun lawmakers are going to continue to do anything and everything they can to prevent Americans from exercising their Second Amendment rights, even if that means bankrupting the firearms industry. And remember, they want to make it illegal for you to make your own gun, right? They want to make it impossible for you to go out and buy a gun, and they want to make it illegal for you to go out and build your own. But remember... They support the Second Amendment. They're just in favor of a few common-sense gun safety laws, right? Now, I want to talk about the motivation of, of one of these lawmakers, uh, Mike Gibson, who said um, that his son was shot twice. 
His fiance was shot. Another man shot in the head. This was an attack back in 2020. He said, this is absolutely personal to me that no family has to go through what my family had to go through. Receiving that traumatic call, dealing with the situation, not knowing whether or not your loved one will live or die. I, I, I get that. And I understand the motivation of Assemblyman Gibson to ensure that crimes like this don't happen, not only to people that he loves, but to people he's never met before. I get it. But the idea that we are going to be successful at curtailing violent criminals by targeting a legal industry is asinine. It actually takes us further away from the things that we can be doing right now that actually do work to reduce violent crime. And if gun control reduced violent crime, California would be the safest state in the country right now. California would have bucked the odds, and we would have seen violent crime decline across the state starting in 2020 when violent crime exploded around the rest of the country. That's not what we've seen. Violent crime has continued to increase in the state of California, just like it has across much of the United States. And the 10-day waiting periods, the micro-stamping laws, the uh, ban on so-called assault weapons, the magazine ban, all of the other gun control restrictions that are in place in California have not thwarted or dissuaded violent criminals at all. This bill doesn't even attempt to try to dissuade violent criminals. <laughs> it does nothing to them. Again, it goes after a legal industry. And it's not going to have any effect on the violent criminals either. If, 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 if anything, it's simply going to empower those who would break the law, commit an act of violence against innocents or other guilty individuals. But it's not going to, and, and, and of course, the biggest impact is going to be on the people who would like to become legal law-abiding gun owners. Because if this California law was successful in bankrupting the firearms industry, holding the industry accountable for the actions of criminals, who's really going to pay the cost? The companies themselves, obviously, right, who would go out of business. But the folks who are going to be hurt even harder beyond the industry, we're just talking about the, these average Americans, the violent criminals aren't going to be harmed by this law. Not in a nation with 400 million firearms. They, they can steal. They can get their guns on the black market. They can continue to illegally and illicitly acquire a weapon. But if this bill were successful, in the intentions of these lawmakers, then the people who would be harmed would be those Americans hoping to exercise their Second Amendment rights for personal safety. And I would argue to Assemblyman Gibson that if he really wants to prevent violent crimes like the one that happened where his son was shot, his fiance was shot, another man was killed, you've got to focus on the violent criminals themselves you absolutely need to, excuse me, absolutely need to make sure that the criminal justice system in California is working. And right now it's not, it's failing. But you also need to ensure that the average Californian can exercise their right of self-defense so that they are the target of an armed robber, if they are the target of a carjacker, that they have the ability to defend themselves with a firearm. And in California right now, you can't. I mean, most of the uh, counties that are the major population centers in the state have a may-issue system, which amounts to a no-issue system, unless you are connected, unless you are powerful, unless you have money, and certainly unless you can prove that you're special. 
because the average citizen doesn't possess the right to bear arms in self-defense in California. And if you really want to level the playing field, if you really want to reduce violent crime, again, beyond reforming the criminal justice system in the state of California to ensure actual consequences for violent offenders, the most important thing you can do, I would actually argue this is even more important than reforming the criminal justice system, is ensuring that Californians and their ability to exercise their right to keep and bear arms in self-defense is not hindered in any way, shape, or form by the powers that be. And in California, we got a long way before we can say that. I mean, in California right now, the right to keep and bear arms isn't even a right. It is treated as a privilege. And again, hopefully, that's going to change with a, a Supreme Court decision in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case later this year. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there, Cleveland, Ohio. Woman charged in fatal shooting of off-duty Cleveland cop during a carjacking was on probation for armed robbery. Tamara McLeod has been charged with aggravated murder in the Friday fatal shooting of Officer Shane Bartlett. She was sentenced in October of last year to five years probation for her role in a armed robbery in Lorain County, Ohio. She also had a warrant out for his arrest, or for her arrest, rather, stemming from an armed robbery back in November at a uh, pizza restaurant in Cleveland. Another warrant for failing to show up to court to face misdemeanor theft charges. By the way, she's 18 years old. McLeod suspected in several other unsolved armed robbery cases throughout the greater Cleveland area, according to Cleveland police. The Garfield Heights woman amassed a history of criminal convictions beginning with an assault conviction at age 14, a domestic violence conviction the following year, she also has several other convictions for minor traffic offenses, one for unauthorized use of a car. She was 16 years old when she was arrested and charged in connection with an incident back in 2020. In that case, she was accused of arguing with a 23-year-old woman at a uh, family party. She ran around a crowd of people who tried to separate the two women, then punched the other woman in the face. The two traded punches until McGloy got into a car and then drove away. Uh, she then returned, apparently, to the home with her mom later that day, firing a gunshot at the woman, according to police reports. With mom there, yeah. Uh, prosecutors charged McLeod with felonious assault, discharging a firearm over a roadway, and properly handling a gun in a vehicle, as well as assault. The case, according to the Cleveland Plain Deal, remained pending in the Cuyahoga County Juvenile Court for more than a year until the victim in this case twice failed to show up for trial, resulting in a judge dismissing the charges. McLeod's most recent conviction came after an October 30th, 2020 robbery in Lorain County, where she allegedly drove to a 37-year-old man's home after the two met on an online dating site. The two went upstairs to, uh, uh, for a short time, and when they returned to the first floor of the home, two of McLeod's friends were in the living room. They were armed. They threatened to shoot the man. They demanded cast. They put the gun on the man's face, ordered him to the ground. The man's 12-year-old son walked downstairs. The gunman ordered him to the ground as well. The man fought off one of the robbers, ran from his home, yelled for help, I guess leaving his 12-year-old son behind. Two gunmen sold 100 bucks in cash, two cell phones, a bank card. The uh, two armed robbers, McLeod, then left in a vehicle that was reported stolen four days before the robbery. Uh, entire robbery recorded on a surveillance video, both inside and outside the man's home. So there's plenty of video evidence. She was charged in Lorain County Juvenile Court with complicity to aggravated robbery, abduction, two counts of grand theft, pleaded guilty to the charges back in June, and again sentenced on October 28th of last year to five years probation. She was told if she violated the terms of his probation, she could be sentenced to an adult prison term. So I suppose that's a possibility. But I'll be honest with you, given the state of the criminal justice system, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if this uh, 18-year-old ends up going to prison for her five-year sentence 
for violating probation uh, regarding the shooting of this off-duty Cleveland police officer. Let's hope that the evidence is there in that particular shooting that uh, this previous probationary sentence uh, won't have to be enacted. But again, you're left wondering, if the criminal justice system had worked this time around, if Tamara McLeod had not received five years probation in this armed robbery, would this off-duty officer be alive today? How many other armed robberies might not have taken place? How many other lives might not have been threatened? Unfortunately, again, uh, in this case, the criminal justice system failed. McLeod was set free, and uh, lives were lost as a result. Turning our attention to today's armed citizen story from uh, Salem, Oregon. Here's the uh, headline for you. A man shot and killed while reportedly breaking into a Salem home. We don't have a lot of details about this case. According to the Marion County Sheriff's Office, um, deputies were called to a uh, home in Salem, Oregon. On Sunday evening, about 7 p.m., someone called 911, said a man had tried to break into a home, but a resident shot him. Uh, when deputies arrived, they found 42-year-old Peter Bishop dead at the scene. The 62-year-old homeowner said that his adult daughter, two of his grandchildren, were at home at the time. Uh, we don't know if uh, Peter Bishop knew the uh, residents of this home. Again, we don't know the motivation here. The investigation is ongoing, but at this point, it does appear to be a case of self-defense. And uh, we'll keep our eyes on this story for any more details as they become available. And then finally today, our good deed of the day from Michigan, where the uh, village of Dundee stepping up to help a mom and her son after a local police officer saw them sleeping in their car in the village of Dundee. Uh, according to WXYZ, the officer learned that the woman was a cancer patient and that she and her son and their dog had lost their home in western Michigan back in the fall. The officer said the family ended up in Dundee because the woman had cancer treatment several times a week in Ann Arbor, Michigan. A post on Facebook revealed that the family spent Christmas in their car this year. After talking to the woman and her son, the officer started calling around, uh, called uh, clergy, called local officials, business owners. Uh, and according to the village of Dundee, businesses like uh, Bricktown Coney Island, Social House 103, have donated hundreds of dollars to the family for food at the restaurants. Others have paid for hotel stays. They've given out Kroger food and fuel cards, clothing, and more. Village of Dundee said on a Facebook, page, uh, Facebook post, quote, nearly 20 envelopes of donations for a homeless cancer victim have been dropped off or mailed in so far and will be delivered to our adopted family today. $1,400 in cash, $120 in gift cards, along with other donation offers of clothing and food, which is being delivered to the family as we write this update. They're also asking for uh, more help for those who need it. And again, this family may have gone unnoticed uh, were it not for that officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to stop and talk to them, find out their situation, realize that they needed some help. And when they, uh, when that officer put the word out there, again, the community responded. So I am so glad that this cancer patient has um, seen the blessings uh, come her way from that community showing support. And I uh, hope and pray that uh, she is successful in her fight against cancer. And that 2022 uh, turns out to be a much better year for her 
than 2021 was. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I hope that 2022 is a great year for you as well. I'm so glad that uh, you're kicking off the year a few days late with me here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but I'm so glad for your support. Glad to be back behind the microphone. Again, this is going to be a critically important year in our right to keep in bare arms and the fight to ensure that that right remains strong and secure. So I hope that you'll join me each and every weekday as we bring you the latest Second Amendment news and information. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day as well. We are constantly updating the website with all of the news that you need to know about your right to keep and bear arms. And if you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber or a VIP Gold subscriber. That'll give you access to all of the town hall media uh, library of websites with exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. You can use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and get a significant discount on your VIP membership. We really do appreciate your support. We're looking forward to uh, covering a very busy and historic year for our Second Amendment rights here on Bearing Arms and Bearing Arms Cam and Company. And we'll see you back here tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free. 